Matthew Klippenstein and I are here for another week of Clean Tech Talk. This week we're talking about uh, Tesla, a lot about Tesla, Tesla's shareholder meeting, fundraising for for ramping up the Model 3, uh, and also tying it into uh, Volkswagen's announcement of a potential gigafactory of its own in Germany. Matthew, do you want to take us away with highlights from Tesla's shareholder meeting? Sure. So we had the Tesla annual general meeting on uh, Tuesday, which uh, which Zachary has uh, written up uh, kindly for us, uh, at least his 24-point uh, summary. And uh, it had a, a bunch of uh, very interesting uh, insights that were offered, in particular some behind-the-curtain, literally, insight from the early Roadster days, which gives us a sense of how Tesla has evolved as a company and advanced as a company. Uh, it's very encouraging to see uh, their growth, and one hopes that uh, they can continue on that uptrend. One thing uh, that uh, Zach noted that Elon noted was that uh, even though the Tesla battery cells are the same as the 18650s used in laptops, uh, they are actually different on the inside, and I have seen the patents on that. Uh, one of the things, for example, that Tesla has done is uh, taken out the safety systems that are inside each individual battery and basically crammed in more battery components. Uh, the reason they were able to do this is that their battery packs, which um, I forget how many batteries are in them, but you know, something on the order of 100, I think, have their own safety system. So there's no need to have a small safety system for each individual cell if you've got a safety system wrapped around you know, each uh, module or each uh, pouch of, uh, of, say, 100 or so. Uh, another thing which came out of the uh, Tesla shareholder meeting was uh, Elon's uh, high interest in being able to bring uh, car manufacturing to the next level. It was a uh, very uh, interesting to be able to peer into the uh, into the manner in which he thinks. Um, I I do actually have an interview that I've uh, conducted with uh, Jeffrey Liker, a well-respected professor and consultant who does work in the automotive industry about how companies uh, in in the past, at least, have uh, improved their throughput capacity, and that may be a very interesting uh, further reading. One thing that uh, that struck me was that. Uh, uh, or one thing which may, might be worth keeping in mind is that Tesla doesn't need Elon to, or or his uh, his the geniuses on his staff to come in with a with a humongous breakthrough here and there uh, in order to succeed or in order to take things to the next level. I'm sure that Tesla will do absolutely fine if it can just harness all of its employees' wisdom at every level, even, you know, say at the 5% better level, 10% better level. And it's just a matter of numbers, uh, just as, you know, uh, one person, even if they're working 24-7, can only have a certain throughput of improvement ideas. If you have thousands of people at every point in a process or every point in a company, just incrementally reducing the number of errors made, streamlining a work process, then overall the cumulative uh, compounded impact is tremendous. And that is that is the heart of uh, how Toyota was able to um, uh, become so profitable. At the start, they were just... Like they were a laughing stock uh, compared to American quality, but um, without using geniuses, without needing like a Michael Jordan or a Stephen Curry on their staff, they were able to just 
be solid everywhere, maybe like the German World Cup soccer team or something, and uh, and as a result uh, become uh, uh, very successful. So those are, those are two of the things that uh, I thought uh, might be uh, uh, worthy of contemplation. Uh, in respect to Elon's um, uh, belovedness and uh, affection for robots, uh, there was a story uh, I found in The Guardian earlier this year noting that uh, both Toyota and Mercedes are actually looking at using fewer robots in their production lines. And the reason for that, and we'll include this in the show notes, a bit of a calculation and such, is that with with uh, humans, if you if you find an improved way of doing a particular assembly process, you can kind of show it to them on a piece of paper. You can have them go through the process a couple times just to make sure they're doing it correct, the new process correctly. It might only take a few minutes, uh, maybe take 15 minutes, half an hour. That's easily doable because most of the time for these manufacturing technicians, they'll get to work half hour before the shift starts to, you know, organize and so on and so forth. Uh, the challenge with robots is that, uh, as anyone who's ever done software updates uh, can appreciate, in rare cases you get bugs happening and uh, software clashes with itself and the robot goes down. And so... Uh, if I uh, if I had my numbers correct here, if you do half a million cars a year, two shifts, and a robot goes down and brings the rest of the plant down for an hour, because no one's going to have an hour worth of materials uh, between individual steps in your manufacturing process, that'd be the equivalent of like a quarter million dollars a year of lost profit. Uh, it might actually be higher. It all depends on what your gross margin is on your vehicle. So um, even though robots are good, uh, one must be very uh, prudent about how one deploys them to make sure that when you do your software updates or when you need to do your repairs, that those uh, uh, that those don't uh, create a, a net burden on your profit relative to the admittedly low tech but surprisingly, you know, robust uh, human processes that you might have. I love that you worked Stephen Curry in there with his new uh, Model X, of course, uh, which we wrote about. Um, I, a really cool thing for me was Elon highlighting uh, the top staff at this meeting and showing, uh, you know, he's, he tried to, to explain in the past, you know, or tried to give more credit in the past to top Tesla Motors staff and, you know, you know, make people realize it's not just Elon, of course, that makes Tesla so great. It's that they have a, have a team of wonderful people. So I thought that was really nice of him to try to uh, get more eyeballs on these people, get more attention on on the important and and really challenging but successful work they've done. Uh, and then, you know, the one, there was just like one line that was really critical one for me on, on the, the Tesla battery cell misconceptions because we, I mean, we, we've seen a lot of claims about Tesla's battery cells being this or that because they're these laptop batteries and his line that they're not laptop batteries was uh, was really really big for me and um, I, I think uh, yeah debunking that is 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 an important thing your your extra comments on that are really really interesting um, I I think uh, our readers will will find that really fascinating Um that this is that this is a big part of the story of why Tesla's batteries are so much better than just standard 
18650 uh, laptop batteries or whatever. Robots versus humans, that's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, I don't know much about these to, to, you know, to weigh in on, but it, it is an interesting, I guess, ongoing question of where it's better to use humans, where it's better to use robots. Um, for sure, you can imagine Elon trying to pioneer the use of robots in a, for more efficient, quicker manufacturing and cheaper manufacturing, but uh, we'll see how far that, that gets, you know. Uh, they can only do so much, right? <laughs> Basically, for the uh, for the patent stuff, uh, perhaps reflective of the inherently nerdy fellow that I am, I occasionally go to the uh, U.S. Uh, Patent uh, Trademark Office website. I think it's uh, USPTO.org, and you can search patents. You know, uh, under the company names that they the file, or perhaps the author. You know, if you have if you're a big fan of say um, Joni Ive, for example, there's a little place where you can search for the uh, the author slash contributor on the patent and um, this I think I'd found this uh, a year maybe two years ago uh, just uh, trying to see what uh, what uh, Tesla had done what their battery approach was and uh, basically they described that um, and I don't have the thing in front of me so I can't tell right now make sure to find that for the show notes but basically you lose a certain percentage of your energy storage capacity uh, in each you know, AA battery, in each C cell, in each 18650, uh, simply because um, each battery might be used on its own. Because it's used on its own, it needs some sort of a small safety system, a little bit of a hardware around it. And uh, one of the insights that Tesla had in its, uh, in its design was that, well, hey, <clears throat> If we design an outer safety system, like an, maybe think of it even as an exoskeleton around each uh, battery pack, each, each assembly of uh, dozens or hundreds of cells, then you don't need that secondary safety system um, giving you a loss of uh, energy, energy storage volume. And so what they showed was that, uh, you know, instead of sacrificing you know, 5% or whatever it was of the volume in the battery for the safety system, they could actually just top it up. So even without doing something more exotic, like changing battery chemistry or changing the, <clears throat> the relative ratio of different additives which are put into batteries for stability purposes uh, to get rid of secondary side reactions, they just, uh, you know... Um, they had the insight that, hey, we don't need this. This is what the standard uh, protocol is. We don't actually need this in our setup. Therefore, let's make better use of the battery volume that we have. It was uh, it was very elegant. Uh, it didn't require any <clears throat> didn't require any super uh, you know, high tech insight. It was just a way of uh, really uh, reducing non-value added stuff because they'd already designed a highly value added solution uh for their for themselves well i think uh you know a general thing for me is that is tesla's ongoing focus on trimming away inefficiency or waste um uh, i've brought this up in the past deepak kahuya uh tesla's longtime uh cfo until he just recently retired uh made a comment i, I think it was on his uh, on his last or one of his last conference calls um just about how he seemed in awe, sort of, or amazed at how Tesla focused on capital on on capital efficiency and how that surpassed anything he'd ever seen in the industry. And note that he came from Ford; he worked at Ford for for many years, uh, so he's he's really knows the industry. So his comment that 
uh, Tesla's just far got a supreme focus on capital efficiency is pretty was pretty important for me, and I think that's going to be an ongoing issue you know, strength of theirs, it sounds like, but uh, Elon looks like he's taking it to another level with his his focus on the machines that make the machines and uh, improving uh, the manufacturing process, making it quicker and more efficient. And regarding uh, supercharging, you know, that's just, uh, that's, I mean, aside from anything else, that's Tesla's big competitive advantage. And I don't think it's necessarily it has to be free. It doesn't. That doesn't really. I don't think that's the important part. Uh, that was important for advertising, maybe. Uh, but, and of course, it is a benefit for consumers. But the important thing is that they have a really widespread supercharging network that's um, reliable, that's uh, placed in a, in a in good way, designed and you know laid out in a good way. And uh, I think that's going to be critical for the Model Three for sure. And there's no taking it away. It's just uh, it's a question of whether they're going to do an all or nothing approach, where they, you know, require people to pay a certain amount for free lifetime charging, or they get nothing at all. I, I think, I you know, people talk about pay per use. I don't, I don't really see that happening because Elon and JB have made comments um, sort of against that in the past. Uh, maybe maybe they'll change their mind. Um, but it would be cool if there was at least like a base, like, you know, two times a month, uh, or four times a month kind of thing where you get free supercharging to a limited extent. But if you want free supercharging all the time, lifetime, then you have to pay more, um, or, you know, supercharging free, not in the vicinity of your home, you know, but but a certain distance away, so that it's really used for for long distance travel. But that seems unlikely as well because it's probably a bit too complicated, and um, there was no sign of that. Just a sign of a package or getting a package. With respect to supercharging, I think, uh, as we mentioned in the uh, last podcast, I think that this is uh, truly uh, Tesla's biggest uh, competitive advantage. Uh, other companies, you know, can can do battery work. Other suppliers, of big, you know, giants like LG and Samsung, you know, they can afford to sell batteries at a loss by cross subsidizing. Uh, they can probably even do that more so than uh, Panasonic might be inclined to. Uh, but ultimately, it it is hard for me to see that a Mercedes, an Audi, you know, Volkswagen, Toyota, even if they get serious. Uh, would have the corporate willingness to deploy a lot of money into supercharging infrastructure or, or something similar. And so it is uh, important for uh, Tesla to make sure all of their vehicles can take advantage of that, you know, that, that, that moat that they have, really. And uh, like, like has been speculated, I do think that uh, the supercharging will be an option you don't want, especially at your lower price points, you don't want to make uh, something standard which isn't necessarily going to be used by all people. Uh, for example, here in Vancouver, we don't have that many really hot days. So a surprising percentage of cars, uh, at least by American standards, don't have air conditioning because, you know, people, most people aren't made of money and it's it's likely an option that uh, they can do without at least this decade. We'll see what global warming brings next decade. And so I can see that there's a big logic, there's a there's a good rationale for making it an option. 
uh, in terms of how the payments work and so forth, whether you you uh, you install it for you know, a relatively nominal amount of money into your vehicle and then maybe you pay at the station, or whether it's sort of an all-you-can-charge buffet after you uh, you pay the um, pay the entrance fee, pay the uh, the add-on for the hardware. I'm not sure, but it does make sense that uh, that it would not be prudent for Tesla to give this away or bundle it automatically in. You want to make sure that uh, you can reach those people who are more price sensitive, who might be in the middle of the city or who might have that second car, like a minivan or something that they can use for road trips, if uh, if that allows them to use the Model 3 for, you know, the 80% of their within-city driving. I mean, 200 miles is still going to be pretty darn good unless you're driving across country, basically. Yeah, I mean, back back to Tesla's. I mean, Tesla's big competitive advantages are supercharging, the supercharging network, in my opinion, and low cost batteries. So, you know, the supercharging network. The important thing is that people can actually go on a long distance trip without much trouble, uh, and they can really um, treat an electric car, Tesla, like like a, a much more like a normal gasoline car, conventional car, than than any other electric vehicles on the market, where you just you know, your best option is to drive for a couple hours and charge for an hour. And that's assuming that there are charging stations along your route, that they're available, not broken, etc., etc. That they're located in a convenient place. Um, For sure, my wife wouldn't really, uh, (laughs) wouldn't sit for that. But um, for the Tesla supercharging, I think she'd be fine. Uh, you know, we just have to plan activities for those uh, for those breaks. Um, but then the other thing is, you know, low cost batteries, which um, Tesla's clear clearly leading on. But uh, you know, it's it looks like it's going to be driven to a large extent at this stage of the game by economies of scale and improving the manufacturing process for them. And Tesla and Panasonic are doing that to a degree with the Gigafactory, like we're not seeing anywhere else. Um, but there is this uh, Volkswagen uh, is hinting at, it looks like it's leaning toward building its own sort of battery Gigafactory in Germany. So that could be a really, I mean, if that's true, and if it's and if Volkswagen could uh, approach it in, a, in the proper manner and with good partners, um, you know, that could be a, a big deal for Volkswagen to really set Volkswagen apart as uh, as well, as one of the real leaders in EVs in the auto industry. Um, of course, you know, that sort of comes back to the point of Dieselgate, I think, you know, the, the big diesel scandal with Volkswagen. Several people right off the bat said this might be the best thing that ever happened to Volkswagen because it could push them toward electric vehicles much quicker. And it um, seems like that that's sort of been the case, but we've Basically, we've just seen that talked about in press releases and meetings, etc., from Volkswagen. We don't have, we haven't seen much on the ground yet to demonstrate that. Um, but you know, all things take time, and uh, if they're really going to invest a lot into a battery gigafactory of their own, um, that, that's a pretty promising sign. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, Volkswagen's uh, proposed um, or their their consideration of investing. $11 billion in a German battery factory for its future EV uh, um, production is excellent news. It's certainly something that uh, they desperately need to take 
uh, attention away from their absolutely horrifying uh, Dieselgate problems. Uh, I I would want to just be a little bit more restrained in my optimism for Volkswagen's shift. What I have read is that even though they do want to sell a million um, electrified vehicles by 2025, the vast majority of those, based on the way they they defined electrified, uh, could well be hybrids. And 11, uh, sorry, a million um, hybrid plus electric vehicles uh, in the next uh, what? Uh, nine years, seven, eight years. Um, that's not all that much considering that, you know, Toyota is basically selling a million hybrids every year. Uh, so one does hope that Volkswagen, uh, Volkswagen's million vehicles will be more on the uh, battery electric vehicle or plug-in hybrid electric vehicle variety than mere hybrids, which would be kind of a, a, a wimpy uh, artificial uh, inflation of this million dollar goal to make it seem more impressive. One thing that uh, that really strikes me um, with Volkswagen's uh, big announcement uh, is that this is almost a perfect environment in which Tesla can thrive because so many of the uh, legacy automakers or you know, mainline automakers are are being roiled by scandal, and one really hopes that uh, Tesla can put the uh, its its teething problems, its initial problems with the Model X behind it. Uh, and perhaps uh, uh, do what it takes to uh, um, increase the uh, or, or to, to perfect the quality on the existing Model S, uh, because basically this is a scenario where as long as Tesla doesn't make big mistakes, it stands to have tremendous upside. And the biggest hurdle to Tesla, or the biggest challenge it'll have, is just making sure not to trip for a while. Uh, everything's been laid out, you know, all these scandals from automaker after automaker, uh, diesel emissions, uh, fuel efficiency, uh, horrifying airbag problems, which isn't directly related to uh, automakers, but is still a safety issue. Um, one does hope that uh, Tesla can uh, recover from its uh, its earlier hubris and just uh, you know, just tighten the hatches or batten down the hatches, perhaps that's the expression, and um, just deliver, you know, uh, what would be what would be the right way of saying this? You know, boringly consistent, high quality vehicles. You know, nothing exciting, no uh, no flashy uh, you know, um, uh, malfunctions or anything of that sort to distract from the message that hey, you know, we're Tesla, we're one of the two automakers in the states never to go bankrupt, you know, we're here to stay, and we make super awesome cars. Uh, I, would think actually, I, would, I would think actually that uh, with the $1.4 billion that they raised, uh, and again, I, I have no insight into this, uh, I, I'm an engineer, not a sort of a, an accountant, but I would wonder if there would be value in Tesla actually deliberately slowing down for a few quarters because they do have this effort going on to revolutionize their production system, to uh, improve their quality and so forth. Uh, if you have an extra $1.4 billion in the bank that you didn't have before, uh, you can pay your suppliers, you know, any outstanding balances from suppliers to get them on, this, on your side, to get them energized to work with you on this Model 3. Uh, you can afford to slow down, you know, deliberately and telegraph to the market, we're deliberately slowing down here so that we can speed up later so that uh, 
you know, I think the ideal scenario would be where, okay, Consumer Reports gave their first uh, review of the 2016 uh, Model X. It uh, wasn't particularly positive. Uh, it was somewhat negative in some areas. And I would think that the best thing that could happen for Tesla is that even if they slow down their deliveries for a while, is to have Consumer Reports be blown away by the 2017 Model X review saying, hey, you know, we had uh, observed a few uh, challenges with this uh, first-year vehicle. They've all been fixed in year two. And uh, particularly because that 2017 review would come a few months before uh, any unveilings or um, any initial uh, production of the first versions of the Model 3, I think it would be ultimately uh, more important to chase uh, to basically restore uh, Tesla's reputation for delivering the best vehicle, even a very respectable vehicle quality-wise, than to worry about, you know, are we growing at 100% per year versus 80% per year or, or any number of that sort. I would think that there could be value for Tesla in using its cash hoard that it has, this enviable uh, amount of money that it has suddenly in its bank balances to say, hey, you know, we're really focusing now on the Model 3. We're going to learn all our lessons and fix all of these things uh, that have been distracting us with the Model X, any outstanding things the Model S as well. And then we're going to go into the Model 3 with a position of strength so that we have no no weaknesses, no holes in our armor when it comes to this uh, mass production, more mass market uh, vehicle. One thing, you know, with Tesla, I think since the beginning, Tesla's had a bit of uh, what I I would say is lucky timing, you know. I mean, Elon talked in in the shareholder meeting about Tesla just having, in his mind, a 10% chance of success when he started it, and uh, that's why he didn't want to take other people's money because he didn't want to... uh, lose it you know and he, and he expected that the money would would go down the drain would would wouldn't last you know uh that the company would fail um but you know tesla has benefited from a bit of lucky timing i mean they had although in the midst of the auto collapse the u.s auto industry collapse that made it more challenging for them to get investors it did make it easier for them to land a ridiculous deal on the Numi factory uh in free in fremont which they uh, are still benefiting a great deal from it's a great big auto factory that they got it on a at a fire sale price. Um, so I mean that that was a great thing. They had they got real lucky timing just in a number of cases, and uh, I mean barely survived on the string of a thread. You know, in a couple of cases with you know lucky timing from Daimler, uh, the relationship with Daimler moving forward, uh, Elon's on last minute bet paying off. Um, and just uh, timing with with the Roadster, the Model S, etc. I mean, you could say they've had a lot of unlucky timing as well, but I think in the end, because the company is successful, <laughs> you look back and you see the, the sort of the serendipity in several events and, and timing circumstances. Uh, but I think it's really wise of Tesla, you know, with the Model 3 to... I'm glad they've... Again, I think the Model X was a, a good timing lesson, you know, the good timing story and that they learned their lesson to not overdo a car you know with the model x rather than with the model 3 and with the model 3 they're you know all the extras the goodies etc they're gonna go into the car you know uh, later on and and 
future versions rather than all at once at the beginning they're they're supposed to be you know added on as they're really tested well and and shown to be you know production uh capable uh, on a large scale so i think again i think it's a great you know that they learned a great lesson right right at the right time and um the model 3 looks set to be uh be done a lot better uh, so i think that's really exciting that's it for this week of Clean Tech Talk. Uh, check in next week to hear Matthew and me ramble about uh, whatever the hottest electric uh, or clean energy news is uh, and get you all the or so electric fix.